Hello, this is Jeff Windsor, and this is Lucky Words, a podcast where we talk about culture, art, and a good deal of poetry, ideally all while we're outdoors doing something cool. I'm recording this as I just came out of Hellhole Canyon, which I had done a recording not long ago when I was in the middle of the canyon, but I'm outside now and I'm uh, sitting down because I had a thought and wanted to share a poem that related to it. Hiking down a narrow canyon is kind of interesting. It's, it's not a flat bottom, big boulders strewn in the way on top of each other that have fallen down from sides who knows when in the past. And while you can't get lost, like I know where I need to get to, it's very obvious. I can see the direction out. It's a straight corridor, but I can pick wrong paths and do all the time. I think I can see a way out and I scurry and scramble up to the top of a boulder and suddenly it's 20 feet down. Well, that's not the right way, but from there I can see the right way. So I scramble back down and get on the right path, but then I'm stuck again, kind of guessing and I go one way and nope. I'm blocked by a 20-foot boulder in front of me, so I have to go back and try again. And this idea that I know where I need to get to, but getting there is sometimes filled with a bunch of fits and starts, seems pretty appropriate for talking about how to read a poem. When I read a poem, I have an idea of what the poem is about, he said with air quotes. I know the gist of the poem. But trying to understand all of the language, all of the allusions, all of the, all of the, the metaphors, all of the images that are there inside the poem, boy, sometimes I get lost and sometimes I just get stuck and have to give up. And fortunately with the poem, there's always a way out. I just shut the book and walk away. When I'm reading a piece of prose, I expect it to follow one thing after another. I read the first thing that leads to the second thing that leads to the next thing that leads to the last thing. One thing after another, and it should make sense the first time I read it. And that's just not the way that poetry works. In the same way, if I am driving down a road, I can see where the road is. It's free of potholes. I just drive. I could say, oh, what a nice, well-made, smooth road this is. But there are times when I love to be inside of a canyon. And there are times when I love that act of having to scramble up something and realizing it's the wrong path and going back down and going the other way around. It's slow. But as any time when a person is inside of a canyon, speed is not the point. And so reading a poem, it should be something that takes time and does have false starts. And you sometimes head down a wrong path. I think it would drive you crazy if you heard how often as I'm talking about a poem and I start saying something and realize that I no longer agree with what I thought when I started. And so I have to stop and pause and think. And I I chop those out because, honestly, you really don't need to hear my process. I don't even like to hear my process. But that's the way it works. That's what poetry really looks like. But the rewards are very worth it as I look back on just that, what a fun little canyon that was. Let's read a poem for right now. 
This is W.H. Auden's Musée des Beaux-Arts. About suffering, they were never wrong, the old masters. How well they understood the human position. How it takes place while someone else is eating or opening a window or just walking dully along. How when the aged are reverently, passionately waiting for the miraculous birth, there always must be children who did not specially want it to happen, skating on a pond at the edge of the wood. They never forgot that even the dreadful martyrdom must run its course anyhow in a corner, some untidy spot where the dogs go on with their doggy life and the torturer's horse scratches its innocent behind on a tree. In Bruegel's Icarus, for instance, how everything turns away quite leisurely from the disaster. The plowman may have heard the splash, the forsaken cry, but for him it was not an important failure. The sun shone as it had to on the white legs disappearing into the green water, and the expensive, delicate ship must have seen something amazing. A boy falling out of the sky had somewhere to get to and sailed calmly on. Auden is an interesting poet. He died in 1973, but he doesn't write with the kind of uh, aggressive inventiveness that other poets of his generation felt they needed to. Auden can be a little bit more conventional and let the ideas speak for themselves. This poem has one basic central idea, that tragedy is not tragedy universally. He uses the painting by Bruegel of Icarus. Icarus, of course, is the son of Daedalus, who built him the wings made of wax and feathers, and was told not to fly too close to the sun. He did fly too close to the sun. The sun melted the wax, and he fell into the sea to his death. And Bruegel talks about this in the context of the painting. And as with all Bruegel paintings, there's all sorts of detail. And Auden is using that detail to illustrate part of the human condition, that while this is a tragedy for Daedalus to watch his son die, while it's awful for Icarus, who falls to his death, to the plowman, it's just something that sort of happens in the distance. Oh, I heard a splash. For the sun, the sun keeps on shining. For the expensive, delicate ship, as he says, had somewhere to get to and sailed calmly on. That specific example, there's the general descriptions that he gives at the beginning. How suffering takes place while someone else is eating or opening a window or just walking dully along. The people are suffering all the time and there is misery going on that I don't know about. And here I am on this beautiful afternoon, feeling the breeze outside of a canyon in the desert, and other people are, are suffering and are struggling and are sad and are going through tribulations and trials that I know nothing about. And I am sitting and enjoying the tinkling sound of water coming off a rock and into a pool that looks as though it's not even moving except for the ripples. Auden calls this poem Musée des Beaux-Arts, that is, the Museum of Fine Art. 
He uses a French title. And the title is about the art. It's about the painting, or it's about the museum that holds the painting. Why is that? Why do you think he doesn't title this suffering or tragedy or why tragedy isn't a big deal to anybody except for the people who are immediately and personally affected by it? Auden is doing something with that title. And I'm going to leave that to you to figure it out. W.H. Auden's Musée des Beaux-Arts. About suffering, they were never wrong, the old masters. How well they understood its human position. How it takes place while someone else is eating or opening a window or just walking dully along. How when the aged are reverently, passionately waiting for the miraculous birth, there always must be children who did not specially want it to happen, skating on a pond at the edge of the wood. They never forgot that the dreadful martyrdom must run its course, anyhow, in a corner. Some untidy spot where dogs go on with their doggy life and the torturer's horse scratches its innocent behind on a tree. In Bruegel's Icarus, for instance, how everything turns away quite leisurely from the disaster. The plowman may have heard the splash, the forsaken cry, but for him it was not an important failure. The sun shone as it had to on the white legs disappearing into the green water. And the expensive, delicate ship must have seen something amazing, a boy falling out of the sky, had somewhere to get to, and sailed calmly on. 